El Fanboy, episode 44. Hi everybody, Mario Francisco Robles, MFR here with you, and this is, at long last, the 44th edition of the El Fanboy Podcast. My good people, my friends, my family, my fellow geeks and fanboys and fangirls out there, it has been three long weeks since we have last spoken. I hope you guys have had a phenomenal break. I know I have. I've got a lot to share with you, and you know what? There's an announcement that I've been teasing is supposed to happen today, so let's not dilly-dally, let's get right down to it. The movement is coming. This Monday, January 15th, Mario Francisco Robles and John Crabtree will launch a site that will satisfy all of your geeky needs. News, analysis, reviews, trailers, and exclusive scoops. It'll be more than a site. It'll be a sounding board. For too long, Fandom has been asked to sit idly by and be satisfied with whatever they throw at us. But, together, we're going to make our voices heard. Finally, a site for fans, by fans. You'll get all the intel on your favorite geek properties. You'll get to interact with our diverse team of writers, submit vlogs and guest columns, endorse open letters, sign petitions, and make a difference. We're starting a revolution. You win. Revenge of the Fans. Coming this Monday. Yes, that's right, my friends, you heard correctly. I dipped my toe back into the world of reporting, breaking stories, and just writing again these last two months, and the responses I've gotten have been so overwhelmingly positive that it got me thinking. A bunch of people told me that they were checking elfanboy.com on a daily basis because they just wanted more and more and more, and I just thought... You know, that's a shame, because that's not what that site's for. El Fanboy is just supposed to be the home to this here podcast, and, you know, kind of just my own little personal space. So I thought long and hard about it. I put my head together with my friend and collaborator, John Crabtree, formerly Unboxing John, some of you should be familiar with, and I decided to launch a full-on entertainment news site, and... I've assembled a team of writers and contributors that will make Revenge of the Fans a perfect place to visit every single day. Fresh stories, columns, reviews, scoops, reaction videos, and even other podcasts, but more on that in a second. What'll set Revenge of the Fans apart from other film sites is that we want to give you guys a voice. We want to get you involved. So just as the promo said, you'll be able to submit works to get published on the site. You'll be asked to come on the podcast to speak your mind. All of the writers will make themselves available to you in the comment sections, which is powered by Discuss, by the way. So a lot of you should be familiar with that. And also they'll be available via Twitter so that the site itself lives and breathes with you. You know, love something that we wrote? Let us know. Think we're being unfair? Let us know. My team and I are happy to mix it up with you and find out what issues are important to you. 
Is it the Zack Snyder cut of Justice League? Do you want to talk about how The Last Jedi ruined the lives of your unborn children? Do you want me to write an open letter to Universal, signed by you, that explains why they should do whatever it takes to, to get Guillermo del Toro to take over the Dark Universe? Whatever it is, let Revenge of the Fans be where you make your voice heard. We want to be your advocates. I want to be your advocate. Now, there's more I can say about the way that the site will sort of live and breathe, uh, about the way you'll be able to use the site as a sounding board, but I will get to all that in due time. For now, I need to get to part two of that announcement. That's right. You thought there would only be one revelation today, didn't you? But here comes another. You see, I am launching a new podcast. Don't worry, El Fanboy will continue, but starting next week, I'll unveil The Revengers, the official movie and TV podcast of Revenge of the Fans. I'll be joined each week by two co-hosts who I handpicked, and we'll tackle all of the week's big stories. We'll hit you up with analysis. You'll hear deferring opinions for a change when I'm, as far as you're concerned with me. For the last eight months, it's just been me ranting and screaming into the void. Now it's not just me speaking to myself all the time. They'll keep me in check, tell me when I'm being insane, and the show itself will hark back to the days of Lost Fanboys. For those of you who followed my original show, I think you're going to enjoy this trifecta because, you know, I sometimes worry that this show is a little too one note, you know? I'm, I'm, I'm sure sometimes you wish you could just reach into your phone or whatever device you're listening to and strangle me and tell me to shut my mouth because I'm wrong about something. So I went out and found people who would do that. In a couple of days, I'll be releasing a brief introduction so you can get acquainted with my co-hosts. I took them out to dinner last night. I've known them for years. I cannot wait to start recording with these two people. You're going to love them. Um, So, okay, so what does this mean for El Fanboy? Well, for starters, the El Fanboy podcast will now move exclusively to Fridays. Hashtag Fanboy Fridays. Uh, on El Fanboy, you'll still get my full, raw, uncut, uncensored, passionate takes on what's going on in the world of geek entertainment. It'll be just me, and, you know, occasionally I'll have a guest like I was, like I was doing last year. Every once in a while, for something real special, I'll bring someone epic on to talk to me about it. We can go one-on-one, head-to-head, toe-to-toe, nose-to-nose. Maybe not nose-to-nose. I, you know, I don't know if my wife would really care about that. But all right, so... Um, so that's going to be what El Fanboy is. Then the Revengers is going to be taking over this here Tuesday slot. All right. So moving forward on Tuesdays, instead of getting El Fanboy, you will get the Revengers and that's going to be on its own separate feed that you have to subscribe to. So I'll give you more details about that, but that show will be a more even keel show with three distinct voices focusing on breaking news and hot trending topics. I like to think about it like this. I'm essentially splitting this show in two. Because if you think about it, El Fanboy has always been one part my unfiltered ranting and two parts news and analysis. So El Fanboy will be the personal unfiltered ranting and The Revengers will be the news segment you guys have grown accustomed to, but with more people to actually discuss the news with. So honestly, I think it's a win-win for everyone involved because sometimes I feel like 
when I'm just sitting here reading the news at you, you know, I'm not sure how much you're getting out of that. So actually getting to discuss it with a couple of other people and, and really dissect the news and have differing opinions and really just, you know, I, I think you as a listener will get some more, some more depth out of the show, out of the news, if I have those co-hosts with me. So that's why the show is essentially getting split in two, all right? So there's the big announcement I've been sitting on. Uh, please be sure to check your podcast app throughout the week. At some point in the next couple of days, I'm going to be releasing that preview so you get to know your new and lovely hosts. Um, and then, yeah, so starting next week on Monday, revengeofthefans.com will be live. And starting Tuesday, the Revengers will be your new weekly geek news fix. And starting next Friday, that's when you'll start getting your regularly scheduled L Fanboy fix. But all right, so there we go. Big announcements are out of the way. I'm so glad to finally share that with you. Um, and, you know, what else has been going on? A lot's been going on in the last three weeks. You know, Bright came out a couple of days after I went into the break, and that was such a polarizing movie. Uh, I have yet to see the full thing. I actually started watching it last night, and I was liking what I was seeing, but I just made the stupid decision to start watching a movie like that at like 10.30 at night, and I'm already pretty shot. So I watched like the first 15, 20 minutes, I would say, and then I was like, okay, I have to come back to this when I'm not exhausted because I'm 34 and I don't have that watch a movie past 11 o'clock sort of attitude anymore. I just can't, I can't seem to make that happen. But what is fascinating to me about Bright is how all over the place the reactions have been because depending on who you speak to, there are those who say that this thing is a, an unadulterated turd, an awful movie. And there are those who say, oh my God, it's so good and it's relevant and it's creative and it's this and it's that. So it's weird to me. Like the, the, it's, There's such a split. And in general, it's such a notable thing. Because this is, I mean, let, let's be real here. This is Netflix's like biggest attempt at making a movie so far. You know, they've, they, they, they've produced and released a few films, but this one, are you kidding me, with David Ayer behind the camera, with Will Smith in front of it, and a lot, I mean, this thing's got a great, I love Joel Edgerton, by the way, uh, maybe it's Edgerton, I don't even know how to say his last name, but I love that guy, I, I have ever since Warrior, um, so this movie is a big deal. And it, it astounds me how all over the place the reactions have been. I cannot wait to finish it. I'll probably do that tonight, and I'll let you guys know what I thought of it. Uh, but for you know, from what I've seen so far, I'm pretty intrigued. I really am. I am. I'm, I'm enjoying Bright thus far. Um, also, in the last couple of weeks, you know, Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle came out and proved that you just can't keep Dwayne The Rock Johnson down as he bounced back very nicely from the turkey that was Baywatch earlier in 2017 to make Jumanji, which is his big runaway hit now. Um, then there's, you know, Star Wars The Last Jedi. You know, that continued to dominate at the box office, now crossing the $1.2 billion mark, making it number 13 on the all-time worldwide box office movie list. Meanwhile... It tanked in China, which isn't much of a surprise. And despite its great numbers, it's on a box office trajectory that I'm not sure Lucasfilm is too pleased about. But 
We'll get to that later once we actually get into the news and the box office and all that stuff. Black Mirror returned to Netflix with its fourth season. And the anthology series has had people everywhere talking about it. I'm about five episodes in, so I think I've only got one more. And my wife and I are already bummed because we were so looking forward to this. And now it's already almost over for us. That series is so good, so thought-provoking, and so depressing. Uh, it's it's weird. It's weird to be excited about a show that you know that once the credits roll at the end, you're going to feel awful. But it's true. Black Mirror, I always f- end up, I always finish that in a very sort of strange headspace where I'm like, I feel conflicted and, 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 and down and dark and sort of depressed. And it's got me, you know, it's just, but yet I always go back for more because it's, it's just so well done. And a lot of the points it makes are so, uh, you know, they're, they're so, they are important points and they are not worth dismissing. So I'm glad Black Mirror is back, even if it does make me very sad at times. Um, you know, other big news, you know, Walter Hamada was named as the head of DC Films. Uh, he joins uh, Jeff Johns, who uh, remains as DC president and chief creative officer. We're gonna, I'm going to have plenty to say about that in a few. Um, and also, you know, uh, the Golden Globes took place a couple of days ago. Uh, I'm not big on the whole award season thing. I, I didn't watch the telecast Um I saw the Oprah speech, which was very, you know, wonderful and inspiring and powerful stuff. Uh, but I, I didn't watch the show, so all, all I can really go on are the victories. And, you know, a couple of notable ones for me, you know, James Franco. I saw The Disaster Artist during the break, and I freaking loved it. Franco's a force, man. I mean, you guys should listen to his recent interview on the WTF podcast with Mark Marin. He's such an interesting guy. Um, and, you know, I'm happy he pulled off a win here. He was really great in this, and he directed it, and he just, you know, he's he's someone you got to keep an eye out for, that James Franco. I, I know he comes off sort of weird, and I know that he does all kinds of bizarre career choices, but he really is a unique and fascinating voice in the Hollywood landscape. So good for him. Then, you know, our boy Guillermo del Toro won Best Director for The Shape of Water. Coco won Best Animated Feature, and thank goodness for that. Such a beautiful movie and a treat for the heart, the mind, and the eyes. By the way, uh, with the del Toro and, and, and Coco wins, I mean, Mexico continues to dominate award seasons in, in ways that, that continue to somehow go way under the radar. You know, I mean, you'd think in the society we currently live in, there'd be a huge celebration over the fact that a Mexican took home the Best Director Oscar three years in a row from 2014 to 2016, that a Mexican cinematographer also won all three of those years, that three of the last five Golden Globe Best Directors were Mexican. You know, I mean, that's a pretty big story, you'd think. In the age of everyone being so sensitive to how white Hollywood seems to be, I just, you know, I, I still struggle to, to figure out or, or, or just come to any sort of conclusion as to why it is that it's not a bigger deal that, you know, Mexicans are quietly doing exceedingly well in Hollywood and somehow no one really seems to give a damn. Um, 
But all right, I think, you know, th those were for me the biggest entertainment stories of the last couple of weeks. And now let's get into the latest news. This past weekend at the box office saw The Rock's Jumanji movie take the top spot. That's right, it's been out for three weeks, but it only cooled 25.6% in its, in its third frame. It made $37.2 million. And uh, right now, Jumanji to date, Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle, which supposedly only cost $90 million, which I think I just discovered that right now in front of you. $90 million, that's like, that's practically an indie movie in this current landscape. Good for Sony Columbia for making a movie that's doing this well for only $90 bucks. Wow. Um, it currently sits at $524.9 million. And, you know, with The Rock's international appeal and the, and the general good buzz around the film, I mean, wow, that is, that is a sizable hit. Good for them. Jeez. Okay, in second place, you had Insidious, The Last Key. Very strong opening, $29.5 million. The film only cost $10 million bucks, and to date, worldwide, it has pulled in just shy of $50 million. That's right, $49.5 million. That is, uh, you know, if you are universal, you're very happy about that. Then, in third place was Star Wars The Last Jedi. Uh, that's right, it's in its fourth week and it dropped two slots this week. You know, last week it 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 it, it three-peated at first place, but this week it drops down to third. To date, Star Wars The Last Jedi has made $1.2 billion. Now, let's talk a little bit about this, okay? It's something I've been talking about a little bit on the Twitter, and I know some of you will be very familiar with this, but I don't think all of you will be. See, I have a feeling that Lucasfilm may not be too happy about this. And I know that sounds insane. That sounds like I'm just being a Debbie Downer. It sounds like the fact that I wasn't head over heels in love with the film is allowing me to want to, you know, talk smack about it. But no, I, I want to, it's not about any of that, I promise you. This is just strictly about the numbers. And I'm not even talking like the actual box office figures. I'm talking about the percentage drops. Those are important, and I need. I think more people need to pay attention to that. Because, yes, listen, a $1.2 billion movie, that's a huge success. Are you kidding me? No one is not happy about a $1.2 billion movie. So let's just put that to bed right away. I'm not going to say that the film is somehow flopping, is somehow a disappointment. Well, actually, it might be a little bit of a disappointment. I'll get to that in a sec. So $1.2 billion is very, very respectable. But here's where things for me become far more interesting. Star Wars The Force Awakens, the previous entry in this new saga, made $2.1 billion, okay? Rogue One, the, the spinoff, you know, the standalone Star Wars story, made $1.1 billion, a difference of a billion dollars. And that's fine. No one expected Rogue One to do anything near Force Awakens. Now, when it comes to The Last Jedi, again, nobody was expecting it to do Force Awakens numbers, but... 
how much less is going to be considered okay? Because if you think about it, you don't want episode eight to have to pull in roughly a little bit more than Rogue One. You know that that's not that's not a good look. That means that something happened here with episode eight where people just were not that excited about it or not as excited about it. That is a huge differential, people, and we can't really sugarcoat that. We can't dance around it. If this thing continues to do what it's doing, which is, you know, respectable but not amazing, and it ends somewhere around 1.3, then that means that from episode 7 to episode 8, that's an $800 million drop from the, from the previous entry in the series. That is a lot of people who were put off. That is a lot of people who didn't come in for repeat viewings of The Last Jedi. That means that the buzz around the film is nowhere near the buzz around Force Awakens. And what that communicates to me is that folks at Lucasfilm are going to have to look at this closely. Because while no one in their right mind expected this to be another $2 billion movie that rivals The Force Awakens... You've got to think they were expecting something that was at least close, at least north of 1.5, as I said on the last show. This thing does it's not going to get to 1.5. It's just not going to happen anymore. And, you know, it raises questions. It raises questions, you know, because they've entrusted Ryan Johnson with a new trilogy. And what happens now if they deem that he somehow didn't live up to expectations. If he made a film that turned off almost a billion dollars worth of business, you know, $800 million worth of business, uh, do they really want to entrust him as the architect of a whole new trilogy? I don't know. You know, and we know Kathleen Kennedy has had a notoriously very short fuse when it comes to the directors in these new Star Wars films. So, I think it's something that everyone needs to be paying a little closer attention to. I know that we just want to look at the fact that it went over a billion and go, okay, good, we're done. Star Wars was a hit. But that differential is substantial, okay? People love to point out that Attack of the Clones made less than The Phantom Menace and that Empire Strikes Back made less than A New Hope. But those comparisons don't really hold water because A, they're different eras, and B, the drops were like relatively moderate between 200 to 400 million dollars. 800 million is what we're talking about now. That is not something to just sneeze at. That, you know, that, that definitely communicates something, and we cannot ignore that. All right, so we're gonna. I'm gonna keep a very close eye. I will bring this up next week on the Revengers with my uh, with my other two cohorts, and you know, I'm gonna be keeping a very close eye on this because that is, to me, in a certain way, that is kind of alarming. The bleeding effect that this movie has had, and that it doesn't seem to have have people anywhere near as psyched as they were for the Force Awakens. In fourth place. There was The Greatest Showman. In its third week, it made $13.7 million. The Hugh Jackman-led musical from Fox 
cost $84 million to make. It currently sits at $151.6 million, so it's, it's heading towards break-even, but it is not by any stretch a huge runaway hit. Then there is in fifth place, Pitch Perfect, uh, the third and final Pitch Perfect movie from Universal. Uh, that film costs 45 mil, and it currently sits at a worldwide cum of 140.9, so I'm sure they're going to be very happy about that. And that rounds out your top five. Uh, other films that I've kept an eye on in recent months, you know, is really all that's left at this point are Coco and Justice League. So let's see, at this point, Coco is in ninth place. It made $5.3 million this past weekend. Worldwide haul of 590 mil. Seems pretty good to me. Uh, I mean, listen, I know it's not frozen numbers, but what could be? Then what's interesting to me is what's, what's down there in 21st and 22nd place. You have Justice League followed right behind it. With a difference of only about $40 million, you have Thor Ragnarok. It's crazy to think that Thor Ragnarok is still hanging in there and that Justice League, a film that came out two weeks later and in theory was a much bigger deal, is at this point competing for the same kind of box office. So Justice League currently sits at $652.8 million. And Thor Ragnarok, which came out way back in the uh, the beginning of November, currently sits at $850.2 million. Uh, unreal. These are unreal numbers here in both regards. Uh, unreal for very different ways. But okay, so let's get into, into, into some of the big stories that have taken place. Um, you know, I want to touch a little bit on Walter Hamada and what's going on there since uh, he's the new head of DC Films. I don't get it, guys. I just don't get it. I don't understand what the power structure is there. Um, you know, according to Variety, you know, <laughs> Mr. Hamada is now taking over as president of DC Entertainment. But they describe Jeff Johns as a DC president and chief creative officer, a president. I didn't know a company could have more than one. I've always, I mean, maybe I'm naive, but I always thought you have a president and a vice president, and then everyone else falls in line under them. But apparently, Walter Hamada's president, Jeff Johns is president. And mind you, you know who else is still listed as president of DC Entertainment? Diane Nelson. <laughs> so who is actually the boss here? Who's the boss? And I don't mean Tony Danza. Okay, there are three presidents at DC Entertainment. How are we going to get anything done if there are apparently three presidents? I don't get it. Why does it have to always be so murky over there? Why? <sighs> but okay, so in talking about the three-headed president monster that now includes Walter Hamada, you know, Walter Hamada has, you know, he comes from the realm of, of, of producing and developing some of the great horror hits that Warner Brothers has had lately. And, he, you know, he worked with James Wan on the Conjuring series. And what, to me, what that communicates is the horror model is a beautiful model. Everyone wants the horror model, which is low costs, huge profits, finding ways to get a killer concept, something that, that sparks the imagination, but doesn't cost a ton of money, 
and will then create a bunch of money. So I think that's why they they want to see if he can bring some of that horror sensibility, not the horror tone, but that idea of like, let's find just a great killer concept that will spark people's imaginations. Let's invest minimal money into it. And let's let the audience run away with it because they're so taken with the concept itself. So I feel like that's one of the strengths that they want him to do. Because if you think about it, you know, Warner Brothers has been throwing all kinds of money at these DC movies the last few years. And the results have been, uh, shall we say, very varied. Um, And, you know, he's also got relationships with two different DC directors. You know, he's tight with James Wan. He's tight with the guy. I mean, I don't don't know personally how tight they are. But, you know, he produced Annabelle Creation. And that director is now making Shazam. So he's got ties to two different DC directors. And he knows how to make a cheap movie that does well. I think think that's really where it ends uh, in terms of his qualifications. In the Variety Report, they described it as he's going to be working very closely with Jeff Johns. Uh, let's see how that goes. I don't know how that works. Uh, you know, if Jeff Johns is just an advisor, it, but he's also the president. Like, like, who gets final say? It sounds like Walter Hamada gets final say. Uh, I'm just, I'm so, I, I, you DC people, man. I really, I wish, I wish I could just deliver unabashedly positive news on on the DC Warner Brothers front. But, you know, this Hamada thing is more of a head-scratcher than anything. In the meantime, I do have some some DC uh, bochinche for you. Uh, You know, for for starters, I'm hearing more and more that it is definitely happening, that we're going to get a Man of Steel 2 with Henry Cavill. Um... And by the way, I should mention, it's not going to be called Man of Steel 2. It's going to have its own name. You know, right now, the Man of Steel 2 is just kind of like the working title is getting kicked around. It's just how they refer to the project. But it is not going to be called Man of Steel 2. But there will be a formal announcement. It's really just a matter of finding the right timing. I think they want to lock up the director first for whatever reason. They've had a hard time you know, locking down whoever it is, whether it's Matthew Vaughn, whether it's anyone else that's flying maybe under our radar, whether it's J.A. Bayona who threw his name in the hat. Um, They've had trouble locking down the director. So maybe now that Mr. Hamada is there, you know, under his guidance, they will finally close whatever deal it takes to uh, finally make this announcement. What's interesting to me is they can't take too long. And I wasn't aware of this, but my source at Warner Brothers made it clear to me that, you know, there's an ongoing legal battle over the rights to Superman that it, that that's, is still going on. It's been going on for years with the heirs of, uh, you know, Schuster and Siegel, the creators of the character. Their heirs have taken Warner Brothers to court to basically say, you know, you, your company swindled our grandfathers into giving away Superman for dirt cheap and we're entitled to a cut of that. And it's led to like so many different back and forth about who owns the rights to what. They own the rights to certain aspects of Superman's mythology, but then there's other things that DC invented on their own after they bought the character. For example, you know, Schuster and Siegel, he couldn't fly. Uh, DC invented that he could fly. Uh, DC also, you know, they take the credit for Lex Luthor, 
and Lois Lane, who apparently weren't part of the original. Like, I don't know. There's so many weird little things here. Like, I remember at one point a few years ago, there was a very real possibility that DC was going to lose the rights to Superman. And people were joking around. I mean, it's crazy to think. But, like, what if Marvel buys the rights? Can you imagine what would have happened if that happened? I mean, obviously, it, it, it never got to that point. But this Superman rights issue continues to kind of go back and forth. You know, I read an article about it last week in trying to research and prepare for this. And the article still just kind of ends with, like, a, yeah, so it, everything is still in flux. You know, yes, there's there's been another recent... Uh, deliberation, another recent uh, announcement from a judge as to what's going to happen. But the whole thing is still in flux. And that connects to what we're talking about now, because part of the deal, part of what's going on here is Warner Brothers has to have a Superman movie in production every like X amount of years. And that's the thing. I'm not sure what the exact amount of years is, but apparently Justice League didn't count as a Superman movie. So the clock on another Superman movie has been ticking since March of 2016 when Batman v Superman came out. So right now we're going on close to two years without a Superman movie in active development. And with the way things are going, since it hasn't been announced and greenlit and they haven't hired things, you know, uh, like they can't risk this, I guess, going into 2019 because I think I, I have a feeling the stipulation is three years. Every three years, there needs to be a Superman movie in some form of development. Otherwise, the rights could go back to the heirs, or the heirs could then say, "You are withholding profits from us. You know, we are in. You, know, you you're not making these movies to spite us." You don't want us to get cuts of the Superman profits. That's why you're not making Superman movies. Like it's 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 insanity, guys, and it's so hard trying to get a firm grip on the situation. I, I I've been toying with the idea for weeks now of trying to get like an actual lawyer to look at this case and come on the show with me, so we could finally hash out what exactly is going on with the rights to Superman because it gets so confusing. And just when you think it's wrapping up and everyone's going to walk away happy, you hear stuff like this. So, you know, but moving right along, you know, with the Superman gossip and, and the different things that they're mulling over over there, you know, I'm also told that it's unlikely for Black Adam to be the villain in this Superman sequel. If you recall, um, yeah, there was some chatter like a year ago because of something that Dwayne Johnson posted on his Instagram or his Twitter where it looked like, you know, he was dropping hints that Superman and Black Adam were going to throw down at some point. And it got a lot of people talking. And, you know, and it, it's interesting because both Henry Cavill and Dwayne Johnson are represented by Danny Garcia, the same manager. And Danny is also Johnson's ex-wife, so it's like I'm glad they have such an amicable relationship. Um, but yeah, she manages both Cavill and Johnson. And apparently, you know, they've, they've put it out there into the world and apparently to the powers that be at DC Entertainment that they would like these two characters to interact. And what I'm hearing is, rather than have Black Adam be the villain in Superman 2, or whatever it is, Man of Steel 2, or whatever they end up calling it, 
It looks like they may work out a Superman cameo in that Black Adam movie. So that's actually the uh, that's actually what all that little buzz was about. We had it wrong. All right. So Superman may pop up in Black Adam, but again, that wouldn't count. Remember, that would be a cameo. That would not count as a Superman movie. So that's why no matter what happens, whether he pops up in Black Adam, whether he pops up somehow, you know, they, they, they sneak him into Aquaman somehow, that will not deal with the rights issue. Warner Brothers needs to get an actual Superman film into development relatively soon. Um, and lastly, on the, uh, on the DC front... Uh, you know, I wanted to just share with you a little bit about the fact that the original plan for this month, before Justice League came out and fell on its face, was for Warner Brothers to unveil an official updated slate, one that would include the new Superman movie and who's directing it, and release dates, and even some official branding for the franchise in general. Because remember, they've gone back and forth on what to call it. You know, journalists call it the DCEU, and fans call it the DCEU. Then the other day, Jeff Johns tweeted something. He referred to it as the DCU. You know, it looks like they were going to finally, like, unveil this is what this franchise is called. You know, just like how Universal last year, when they released The Mummy, they released a thing that just says, like, um, you know, the, the Dark Universe. Uh, you know, they, they're going to give this a name, and that was apparently going to be part of the original announcement. And, you know, I don't know what's going on anymore. You know, I with everything that's gone on since Justice League, you know, I, I'm very curious and sort of anxious to see how that's evolved. I know that the slate was going to hammer down, um, you know, it was going to hammer down dates for Suicide Squad 2. And, you know, uh, it was just... <sighs> if you're a DC fan... I think we're just still all in a holding pattern here. And hopefully, we'll finally see what exactly is going on. I keep hearing that, you know, this month, this month of January, there is still more to come. That the Walter Hamada thing is not going to be the only big DC news that we hear this month. So stay tuned. I'm going to continue digging. As soon as I hear something, you guys will be the first to know. Um, oh, and I should mention too, you know, I was asking around because Bill from Batman on film keeps talking about, uh, how Shazam will not be part of the DCU. Uh, you know, and that's not true. I hate to, I hate to, uh, yeah, I know it's just his theory. It's not like his scoop. It's just his hunch, but that's not the case. Uh, so Bill, if you're listening to this, my man, uh, you know, Shazam is definitely part of the shared universe. It's part of the DCU. And by the way, to that end, Zachary Levy, uh, who's starring in that as Shazam, was recently quoted as saying he'd love for Wonder Woman to pop up in that movie. So, you know, I don't know if that'll happen. But, you know, it's th th this whole thing is definitely one shared sort of uh, sandbox. All right. Moving right along. Uh, there's some news on the X-Men, on the Marvel Fox X-Men front in a couple different ways. So, you know, with Deadpool 2, there's actually been a little bit of controversy lately. And it has nothing to do with the movie itself, mind you. It has to do with more of what's going on with, with, uh, with actors, you know, getting outed as being sort of, uh, you know, abusers and, and horrible people. Uh, you know, T.J. Miller is the latest actor 
to have a, a target put on him. Uh, apparently, you know, th- there was an anonymous person who came forward with claims of sexual misconduct and abuse. And uh, I think he, even like he apparently like hit her or something along those lines. Uh, you know, TJ Miller and his wife have both come out and released a joint statement, like fervently denying that that happened. But that had people wondering now, you know, if this thing's going to pick up steam, what does this mean for Deadpool 2? Because TJ Miller was supposed to have a fairly sizable role in Deadpool 2. And that thing's already in, in its final editing stage. And, you know, people are wondering, like, are they going to hire Christopher Plummer to play uh, Weasel now? Like, what's going to happen there? So, according to Lauren Schuler Donner, who's one of the producers of all of these X-Men movies and the wife of the legendary Richard Donner, uh, she was asked by Rotten Tomatoes if, if something's going to happen, if they're going to recast, if they're going to do something about the Weasel, about T.J. Miller. And she said, we're in the final editing. I don't think so. Uh, when they asked if he'll show up in future movies, she she said, you know, that's a whole studio thing. I don't know. So it looks like for Deadpool 2, whatever he shot is staying in place. And as this story either continues to grow or disappears, you know, we'll see what happens with T.J. Miller's future in the Deadpool movies. Uh, I'm not going to editorialize on the story itself. You know, I don't know enough about it. All I know is there was an anonymous accusation. It's picked up some steam, and that's where we're at. We'll see uh, how the whole thing shakes out. But also, while we're talking Deadpool, you know, Tim Miller, the director of the first one who is not directing part two, you know, he's been developing a Terminator movie with James Cameron, but today, breaking news, he's also developing another X-Men movie. That's right. Another one of these sort of character-driven side stories, and it would center on... Kitty Pride, who was played by Ellen Page, and uh, you know, most recently in the uh, X Men: Days of Future Past, uh, she, I think I believe she was also in X Three: The Last Stand. I haven't seen that one in so long, but I'm pretty sure she was in that too. I don't know if she's going to play it in this movie, but yeah, according to uh, well, it's just you know, th- this is the story making the rounds now. Tim Miller is developing potentially to to direct, but for now, it's just developing. I guess just as a, as a producer. He is working on a Kitty Pride movie. That goes along with, you know, the New Mutants, the uh, Deadpool sequel, the X-Force, and X-Men, the Phoenix Force. Um, is that what it's called? The Phoenix Force? I thought it was X-Men, the Dark Phoenix. People are making me look stupid. I'm, I, I don't care enough to go look up what the Phoenix movie is going to be called, but <laughs> uh, all, all you need to know is... Tim Miller is developing a Kitty Pride movie, which also speaks rather nicely to his relationship with Fox, if you think about it, because after after what happened with Deadpool 2, you know, you'd think he might be a little salty and might not want to be around uh, the X-Men property because, you know, he he he's very much responsible for what made Deadpool such a huge hit. And then, you know, they showed him the door. Ryan Reynolds showed him the door for the sequel. But I guess he's got no hard feelings because now he's going to make Kitty Pride. Um, moving right along to films that are sort of on the periphery of bigger franchises. Uh, Venom. Apparently, we're going to be getting our first look at Tom Hardy's Venom via my friends at IGN later this week. So keep an eye out for that even if the film's existence uh, defies all logic. 
There's also a whole bunch of Ridley Scott news. I mean, the guy is just, you know, is it just me or is he starting to wear out his welcome? I hate to say that because he's a legendary filmmaker and I have nothing but respect for the guy. But I feel like, you know, it, it, it was cool when he came back to do Prometheus and when he started dipping his toe back into like doing the real sort of genre properties that he became known for. But now I feel like he's, he's beating that drum a little too hard. You know, so I have updates for you from Riley Scott about Alien and about Blade Runner. And he may also direct something for, for Disney, a big sort of, you know, adventure epic. So let's start with Alien. So he seems to have had a slight about face. A couple of weeks ago, he spoke about the Alien movie that he was developing as if it was definitely happening. But that was before the Fox-Disney deal. So people have asked him again, hey, Mr. Scott, you know, what's going on with that Alien movie? And here's what he said. He says, it looks to me that the Fox deal is certainly going to go ahead with Disney. And I've been with Fox for a number of years now. I'm hoping I'll still probably be there. So whether or not they go ahead with such a dark subject being Disney as Aliens remains to be seen. So now he sounds not quite so sure, and I guess he wants to see how that whole balance of power works. With Disney owning Fox, will they allow Fox to continue to make darker movies under the Disney umbrella? Are they going to try to Disney-fy everything? I think they will. But either way, it's notable that he, after only a couple weeks ago saying, oh no, we're definitely doing it, is now like, eh, I guess we'll have to wait and see. When he was asked about another Blade Runner, a third Blade Runner movie, he said, I hope so. This is what he told Digital Spy. Uh, I think there is another story. I've got another one ready to evolve and be developed. So there is certainly one to be done for sure. So, all right, another Blade Runner. I don't know why they would do that. I Listen, I loved Blade Runner 2049. In fact, I liked it better than the first Blade Runner. But the interest wasn't there. So unless they're going to find a way to do it at a super low budget, I don't see who wins in a Blade Runner 3 aside from the hardcore cult Blade Runner fans. So I don't know what's in it for anybody there to get too excited about a Blade Runner 3. I hate to be like a wet blanket about that subject because I know Blade Runner is like a holy grail and a very you know special property. And like I said, I loved 2049. But I think... I think we got to take a hint here. People just gave it a cold shoulder. Let's move on from Blade Runner. And same thing with Alien, mind you. You know, Alien Covenant came out in you know, last February, last March, and nobody cared. The, the, the film fell on its face. It, 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 it undershot all its expectations. It didn't get people excited for the Alien franchise again. So why is he still out there talking about Alien sequels? This is where I'm coming from when it comes to me saying that maybe Mr. Scott needs to like take a break or needs to like turn his attention to wherever it was in the years leading up to Prometheus when he was like kind of off doing other things. And the last bit of uh, Ridley Scott news is apparently, you know, he is ready to be a little cozy with the Disney people because Variety reports that he is in talks to direct Merlin Saga, based on the novels by T.A. Barron. The film tells the origin of the, legenda the legendary wizard who would go on to advise King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table. 
Philip, Philippa Boyens, who co-wrote the Lord of the Rings and Hobbit trilogies, wrote the screenplay. So, you know, I mean, that sounds like an interesting way to use his energies. Rather than trying to breathe life into things that are clearly dead already, uh, this is something that looks like, you know, let's create something new here. Let's adapt this Merlin saga. So bring that on. That sounds like a much better use of Mr. Scott's time, don't you think? Uh, also, uh, there was an extended Black Panther trailer as that movie is getting closer and closer to its release. And man, I don't know if you've seen it, but it looks really good. It's about a minute and a half long. It was released during the Golden Globes, I believe. And it looks good. It looks different, you know, just like new territory for a Marvel movie, you know, with a kingdom and this kind of power struggle. You know, uh, listen, you know, like my internal hype isn't all that high because I don't really know the character all that well or have an affinity for Black Panther, but I'll definitely catch it and, and see what all the fuss is about and see what makes him so special. But yeah, I mean, the trailer looks good. And, you know, it's funny because I, I had the same issue with Doctor Strange where, like, I'm, I, you know, I'm going to see you. I'll see you when I get a chance. There, you know, there's none of that, like, I have to go buy the ticket way early in advance thing. But then, I, I, by coincidence, the stars aligned, and I ended up seeing Doctor Strange on opening day. So, for all I know, I may end up on opening night for Black Panther. But for right now, it's one of those movies that looks pretty good. Looks like it should be on my radar that I have no real urgency to see. You know, as part of this... TV spot they just announced, you know, that the tickets are on sale and this and that. And I'm like, well, that's good. And then I just left. I, I, I didn't race the Fandango to buy the tickets, if you know what I mean. Um, and yeah, you know, over, over the break, I got to enjoy some, some different things with my family. Uh, one of which was, you know, uh, my, my best friend lent me his Nintendo Switch. And, you know... I played Mario Odyssey, and oh, I love that game. Uh, it's, it's amazing to me that here I am, uh, what, 30 years since I played my first Mario game, and Nintendo still knows how to pull me in. And what made this extra special is that since it is such like a fun, vibrant adventure game, my kids sit with me on the couch and they watch me play and they tell me where to go and they say, jump on that guy's head and oh, look, there's a moon over there. Go to the moon. And like, it's interactive for them. For them, it's like watching a cartoon that daddy gets to control and daddy gets an excuse to play a video game. <laughs> and it's funny because like, you know, they request it. They request it. And I have to tell my wife like, well, honey, the kids want me to play Nintendo. <laughs> so... What what's a guy to do? You know, I'll do it for them because I love them. But anyway, so you know, I've been playing Mario Odyssey. I actually beat it, which I, I think that was like my one sort of critique on it is that it, it is a little easy. So I feel like I breezed through the main campaign within like two weeks, uh, and now I'm just doing all the stuff that comes afterward, which of which I'm told is sizable. It almost seems like more than half the game you do after the credits have rolled, which confused me because, you know, to me, I usually, it takes me a couple of months to beat these 3D Mario games because they're so big and they're so expansive. And I'm playing, and at some point I'm fighting Bowser, and then the credits start to roll. And I'm like, hang on a second, that's it? So the game did feel a little short. The main campaign felt short. 
But there's a ton to do. Mario Odyssey is awesome if you're a Nintendo fan, if you love the Mario games. Wholeheartedly recommend that for you. Uh, I also saw Wonder Woman again for, I guess, what would be like the third or fourth time now. I watched it with my with my daughter and, and you know, because she got the, someone gave her the Blu-ray as a Christmas gift. And as soon as we got home, you know, she wanted to watch Wonder Woman. So that's what we did. And I'm telling you, that movie is just so, it, it's so beautiful. It, it really, I don't know, I it, it gets me, it, it gives me all the feels. It gives me all these emotions when I watch it. Uh, it's you know I already reviewed it. I'm not gonna re you know I'm not gonna dive back into all that. You can go find my reviews for Wonder Woman. But you know, being just I I, I remember we put it on, and I my wife and I were supposed to be busy. Like you know the kids were gonna watch Wonder Woman while mommy and daddy unloaded the car, put all the presents everywhere, and 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 put all of our new loot away, and then got rid of all the old loot. And, you know, we, we were busy, but I kept finding myself like stopped dead in my tracks watching Wonder Woman over my daughter's shoulder because uh, it's just that it's just that good. I love that movie. Um, and then, you know, since we were on like a DC superhero kick and, you know, I was like, you know what? I'm going to go for it. I, I've been waiting a very long time to do this and I did it. I busted out Superman the movie. That's right. And I sat down with my wife and my two kids, and I introduced... Well, my, I mean, my wife knows the movie, but I introduced my kids to Superman the movie, directed by Richard Donner and starring Christopher Reeve. And uh, that was like a religious experience for me, to be sitting there watching you know, this movie that means so much to me with my two little angels next to me. Uh, and the outcome was the three-year-old boy... Couldn't sit still. Like after the first hour, he was he was done. He was running around and being distracting, and he just he he lost interest. My six year old daughter loved the movie. She watched the whole thing start to finish. She had some questions along the way. There were things about Lex Luthor's plot that were sort of confusing to her, and you know I I, I at times had to like pause and explain what was going on, but in general, she was engaged. She loved it, and, you know, in her mind, that's Superman, and I'm, I'm glad that that's the case. Um, I also started uh, BoJack Horseman. I bring that up because it's one of those series that a lot of people have told me to check out, and now I'm checking it out, and I'm very glad that I am. Uh, it's a very good series. And like I mentioned earlier, you know, I, I, I've seen most of Black Mirror. I caught Disaster Artist during the break. Um... I haven't been to the movies otherwise, though. I have a couple of screeners here that SAG has sent me. I'm supposed to vote for the SAG Awards. So, so far, I've got screeners for a bunch of different things. But the, the one that I'm, I'm most dying to see is the uh, Margot Robbie movie, you know, I, Tanya, about Tanya Harding. I'm holding the disc in my hand right now. This has been on my radar for a while. So I'm going to try to see this after I finish Bright. So that's kind of on my to-do list. And uh, also on my to-do list is to come up with all kinds of great content for the wonderful site I'm launching for you guys next week. Um, you know, I'm not going to be doing the daily news grind. That is still, you know, that's why I have a team of writers. They're going to be doing the daily news. What I do there is I'm going to be contributing columns and reviews 
and interviews, stuff like that. I'm going to be, you know, I'm not going to be posting every single day there, but I am the editor-in-chief. The book stops at my desk. I'm going to make sure that you guys have a ton of awesome stuff to read. I'm going to oversee all of it, and uh, I cannot wait for that. Um, I, I have a feeling some of you, namely longtime listener and reader Tavo Borrego, uh, may have some concerns, actually, about me starting this site, because I know last year when I began El Fanboy, I mentioned that I, I wanted to try to pursue my creative you know, pursuits and write a script and maybe get something produced and yada, yada, yada. Um, and the thing is, that is still a goal of mine, but I feel like I've learned something in this last year or so, and that is I love this stuff. Doing this podcast for you guys, writing stories and breaking scoops and just, you know, having these conversations and covering this industry that I love so much, it means so much to me and it really is very, very satisfying to me. So I don't see this as me sidetracking a dream. In fact, I see it as starting a new one. I feel like I've discovered a new dream here. And it, it's in the form of revengeofthefans.com. I have very high hopes for what this thing can be. I think it can be very special. I'm loving collaborating with John so far. I'm loving the team that I've put together of writers and contributors and the other podcasts that we're going to have under our umbrella. I cannot wait to kick off the Revengers next week with, uh, I'll just say their names, with Vanessa and Brett. Uh, you guys are going to love Vanessa and Brett. And just, yeah, you know, I, uh, I love this stuff and I'm deciding to go for it. I'm going to double down, you know, I'm going to launch this site. I'm going to try to make it something special, try to make it a destination for you guys and for fans around the world. And, uh, this is my new dream. So hopefully you guys join me on it. All right. Keep an eye out in your, uh, podcast app for the Revengers. I'll be, uh, uploading a preview of that in a couple days. And Revenge of the Fans goes live on Monday. Until next week, adios.